Hello, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Dash. Today, I'm here with somebody. The last couple of weeks, I've been talking about being alone, so I'm much well, happier you again. Got, you got company today. I have company. I'm here with Joey Brannon uh, as a co-host. And what are we going to be talking about today, Joey? Today, we're going to talk about workforce capacity. Uh, it's kind of a, a fancy way of saying like how much work can a team get done. And how do we use that? How do we use the concept of workforce capacity and some of the, uh, we do strategic planning and execution. When we get into the execution side of it, we're obviously going to be looking at how productive are we? How, what's our backlog? How much more work can we do? But we're on the planning side too. You and I look at this quite a bit. We had a client recently uh, where we were looking at some of the planning stuff and then looking at the workforce that was going to take and are about to go back to the business owner and ask a pretty relevant question of like, yeah. do you realize that you're going to have to grow the team by double? Um, and it's purely like a capacity issue. Like there's no way we can get to that revenue mark without growing the size of the workforce because each individual can get only get so much work done. And it's kind of crazy to, to expect otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, workforce capacity is so essential. And it's almost like this this fuzzy concept too, right? Where like even though it's there there are some metrics and we're gonna get into that, it's really just it's not it's not a hard and fast rule. No um, for individuals, you know, and part of that is because no two people in our on our team are formed from the same mold. Yeah, it's you know, it's we aren't machines, people aren't machines. And so you think of like what's you know, what is the capacity uh, corollary like in the in the machine world and you know this is, I'll date myself you know you are not as well versed in buying things like printers and copy machines as somebody my age might be right. but like when back in the day when we have we used to have to print a lot of paper you know there was this page per minute thing you know like so how many pages per minute can this laser jet printer kick out versus this other one and you could go from you know 21 pages per minute to 40 pages per minute you're like holy cow that's doubling you know, I can print all these documents twice as fast, but people don't work that way. You know, mm. we don't have a state now, you know, there are, there should be some, some expectation given that people do, um, they, they're kind of involved in the same activity. So it doesn't hold well if, you know, you're one off and, and you're jumping from one very, you know, different activity from another. So if you've got somebody who, you know, one day, say they're training on, um, they're training on how to put in an air conditioning unit, you know, and they're saying, okay, like this is a, this is a five ton split system unit uh, where we've got a, a part of it outside and a part of it inside, you know, and we got to run the, the conduit and the, the piping, the plumbing between the two and then duck the house. And then the next day, that same person is now a trainer on uh, on how to install sod, right? right? <laughs> and then the next day, they're training on how to change oil. And like, so, like you can't. Most businesses don't run that way. Right. Most businesses say we've got a group of people who do training in this specific area, and we should say, or not training. Let's say that's something that's that is a little bit more routine. Let's say installing the air conditioners, and so you say, well, how many? can they install a day? It's, you know, it's, oh, it's one a day, right? Or, but then we get to the, the, the uh, question and we start to extend that and go, okay, so one two-man crew can install roughly one unit per day. How many crews do you have? We've got eight. Okay, so that's eight units a day. That's 16 a week. That's 64 a month, roughly. You know, how many can, what do we have in the forecast for this next year? Oh, we've got, you know, 1,000 installs. We're like, uh, you realize we've got crews <laughs> to do about 680, right? right? So 
uh, workforce capacity, that's where it comes into the planning spot, but it is different than being able to measure the pages that come out of a printer or the widgets that a machine can crank out. Each individual is different, and as they gain experience, they typically do things faster. As we introduce systems and processes to make things more efficient, they can do things faster. Yeah. As we buy them, uh, one of our clients is a plumbing company, and there's a lot of conversation a couple of years ago about this uh, tool that allowed them to join pipes together to solder pipes together. They could join them together. I think it's called a power press or something like that. And like the, they're like, we got to get more of these machines. They're just so much more efficient. A guy, I remember literally they were saying a guy can do what used to take four or five hours. A guy can do in an hour. I mean, yeah. that's a game changer in terms of capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there are things that come along that radically change capacity, but those are kind of the the exceptions to the rule. Normally, we kind of know what the capacity is, and we can we can increase it or decrease it a little bit, and it's going to go up or down a little bit. Yeah. So, how do we let's let's get into the nitty gritty of how do we actually measure it, right? Because it, it is it is such an essential tool and resource that business owner and, and kind of data point that business owners can look to, business leaders can look to to make sure that they don't run into a situation where, as you're mentioning, they're less productive um, or there's less throughput in the organization. Um, there's less turnover because people aren't feeling thin. Um, and, and so let's get into that. How do we measure it more subjectively? So what are some of the subjective measures? Um, because it is such a fuzzy thing, maybe we don't have all the data, but yet we have the, the, the pressing feeling or we have the sense of an impending like, hurt that's yeah. coming of, okay, I'm feeling everybody's stretched thin, morale is a little bit low. What are some of the subjective measures that business owners may intuitively know, but um, look to, to gauge capacity? Well, I think, you know, there are subjective. So saying, oh, go to your dashboard, you know, and look at this, like that's, it's a, it, 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 that doesn't happen. I'm, it's, I forget the oxymoron, right? So it's like it's a subjective measure. Go look at it on the dashboard. And you right. look at the, where the gate is. No, it's like subjective. You've got to feel it out. And the subjective measures are the, the smaller your team, uh, the smaller the sample size, right? So if I've got three people who are doing a specific job and, and I really rely on them and they're a significant part of our production, then it's going to be a lot more – there's going to be a lot more variation because there's only three people than if I had 30 because mm-hmm. kind of the law of averages begins to hold. And when, they have, when you have a larger sample size, you can start to look at some of the operating metrics and, and you can go, oh, wow, we're seeing a big bump here. And, and a big bump in something like that might be uh, you know, two-tenths of a percentage point or something like that. Uh, so you know, we might see that uh, overtime you know, has gone up by 5%. And if we've got hundred employees, that could be significant. Yeah. That means everybody's, you know, everybody's got some extra work on their plate that we're having to pay extra for. But if I only got three people, um, so if I've got three people doing, doing the work, then two of them may be, you know, really on the edge of burnout on the verge of like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this any longer. And the place where it shows up subjectively, one, I mean, you could just ask them and you should be asking them, you know, one of our biggest pushes uh, from the CEO level all the way down to like a supervisor is, are you having one-on-one conversations with the people you're leading? And those conversations are asking, how are you doing? And what can I do for you? Or what do I need to do for you over the next 30 days? 
And at a, from a you know, CEO to a general manager, or like you to me, that's a that's a better part of a two to three hour conversation. Yeah. But with a supervisor and one of those three people in the field, it could be a fifteen minute phone call, you know, check in between jobs. It could be catching them in the morning, or saying, "Hey, let's grab breakfast right before you hit your first job. How are you doing?" What, what do I need to be doing for you over the next 30 days? And if you're asking that question with some regularity, I mean, I'll say it better this way. If you've been asking that question for the last six, seven, eight months, mm -hmm. when that person starts to feel burned out, they're going to say, like, I'm struggling, right? The, that, and I think a lot of business owners fear, oh, well, they're just always going to tell me that, right? right <laughs> you mean right. I got to ask them? what my job is for them every 30 days, you know, they're going to ask for the moon, but yep. they're not. You and I know that what you're going to hear most of the time is I'm busy. Really? Like, tell me about that. Well, you know, it's just, it's just been, it's busy time of year. Everybody knows it. it's getting, you know, it'll slow down the next month. How you doing? That's, it's really busy. Mm -hmm. What can I do for you? Uh, I think we're good. You know, maybe I've got a couple of requests about how I'm getting dispatched to jobs. You know, it is super busy. So if there's anything we can do to, to make a little bit extra effort to group jobs together. So I'm not getting home at seven 30 or eight simply because I had to drive, make two trips all the way across town. You mm -hmm. know, if we could have done those first two jobs in the same spot and then made one trip across town, that would have been better. Those are the kind of requests that you're going to hear. Yeah. And then if they are really getting overwhelmed, uh, you know, maybe that third or fourth month, it changes from not busy. It, it probably changes to something like, I'm okay. Right. And you go, okay, well, what's that about? You know, well, I mean, I'm just struggling. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting home. My wife's fed up. I'm getting home at seven thirty, eight o'clock some nights. You know, we used to be running two, maybe three jobs a day. Now it's four and five. Um, you know, so-and-so left, we got a new guy to replace him. He's only running like one job a day. So the other two of us were picking up the slack. Mm -hmm. And, um, what can I do for you? Uh, I need some time off, <laughs> right. You know, to spend with my wife so that she still enjoys me working here. So if I could get a long weekend or something like that, that would go a long ways. Or if I could get off call for two weekends so that we can spend some time together and, um, we need another guy. We got to have another guy. I'll train him, right? <laughs> right. I will do the work to train, but we got to have another guy because none of us can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you don't know this, but you're about to lose John over here too because yeah. he's he's not telling you the same things I'm telling you. He's just burying it. And so that's there's zero substitute for the monthly one to one. It, it's probably the most versatile skill set that we can offer you as a leader. If you're listening and you don't know what it looks like, you don't know how to do it. We will give you the, the secret sauce. How are you doing? How are you doing? And what do you need from me to be more effective, uh, fulfilled, and productive in your work? Yep. And if you ask those two questions and you shut up, then you will get more insight and more data from your people to, to make decisions on and address issues than a leader who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean at some point, we're going to rename Axiom to like the one-to-one -one consulting company because go. it seems like that's all we talk about. And I'm, I'm kind of joking, uh, but there are very few things that we run into in terms of when we're, at, when we're executing the plan, whatever the plan is that's been built by the leadership team, whatever the vision the owners set out, 
when we start running into significant headwinds in execution or just a brick wall in execution or we're hit from out of left field, yeah. something that totally derails us, a key individual leaving the business, um, a key customer that you know, we, we made one too many mistakes on. Right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, how did we not see this coming? If we'd have been doing one-to-ones, we would have seen it coming oh, yeah. and we would have, we would have not hit the brick wall. We would have not burned somebody out to the point they left. We would have not failed to pick up on certain customer lapses and things falling through the cracks over and over and over again. But you know, that why don't people do it? Why don't people do the one-to-ones? It's not a one-to-one -one podcast. So I want to quickly get back on track, oh, yeah. but we need to, th there's a couple things that I would say. When we're talking about the kinds of things that you can learn about workforce capacity through one-to-ones, if you go out and start and you've never done one-to-ones before and you start doing this and you and you start holding your managers and your supervisors accountable for doing it it's going to take a while yep. right because they don't trust you like they they think if you've if you've acted if you if i was going to say if you've always acted in your own self-interest and then you start asking them are they going to be skeptical but i don't think most businesses act in their own self-interest no. i think that if you're not proactively acting in their best interest in very visible ways, mm -hmm. it's almost the same as acting in your own self-interest. Like well, in, until they've seen you constantly and consistently wanting to know how they're doing and what you're supposed to be doing for them, what can I do for you, then they're going to be a little bit skeptical. So that's okay. Just like go into it knowing I'm going to, I'm in this for a long term. I'm going to do this every 30 days for the rest of my life, or at least for the rest of the time that I own this business. And then I'm going to go buy another business and I'm going to do it every day that I, you know, every month that I own that business, I'm going to be doing one-to-ones mm -hmm. and you'll get the, you'll eventually get the, uh, the progress. The second thing, so take the long-term view. The second thing is you got to be, uh, you have to be realistic about the amount of time that this takes. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest reason it doesn't get done because people don't make the time for it and you don't make the time for it the day that you're supposed to do it. No. You make the time for it months in advance. My one-to-ones with you and everybody else on our team are, I've got those, those things are, have been, those things are planned years, decades, generations in advance because if you go to my calendar there's a one-to-one -one with Devin probably on the second Monday mm -hmm. of 20 of April 2060 right it's there right. because it's on my calendar recurring with no end date yep. so I've done the work once to plan to make room for that to happen and then every day that something competes with that I just make a small decision Nope, you can't have that second Tuesday. That's Devin's second Tuesday. And it's a totally different approach than saying, yes, I'm going to do that with the mentality of I'll find time next month to figure out when I'm going to do that. You won't. You're just not going to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, is like we're talking a lot about one-on-ones and it, it might be a new practice for you. So um, something else comes to mind is like what if we're – we're really telling some a leader to do something that they've they've never jumped in before, and and the, the way that I think about it is okay, definitely implement that practice. That's a that's a foregone conclusion. But the second thing is, if you're looking for the script, if you're looking for that prompt of like, what can I say if I am really concerned about workforce? I haven't done the 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 hard work and the 
the equity work of like making sure that when I ask them the one-on-one questions of how are you doing, I can get to those answers. And I'm really concerned right now about workforce capacity. You know, proactive conversations are always helpful with our people. And maybe it's the conversation of, hey, um, we've added a lot of, of work lightly. Our sales crew is killing it. And it, I just don't want to drown you. So how are you doing? And you can really position that conversation that is caring right? It demonstrates high regard for your people and you want to really get insight into this particular capacity if there's a capacity issue. And so you prompt them and say, hey, we've added a lot of a lot to your plate lately and we don't want to drown you. How are you doing? And then, the, you know, the flip side of that is maybe you have to have, maybe you're a leader who is much more comfortable having confrontational conversations and holding your people people's toes to the line. The other thing is, hey, you know, how you doing? We don't want you to get bored. Is there, you know, mm-hmm. do you need, do you have capacity? And just being, being for, forthright with those questions is maybe a way to, again, it's a one-on-one conversation. I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't ask my team, like, are you bored guys in the middle of, of a operations meeting? But definitely maybe having those scripts or having those prompts to say, this is what I want to talk to you about. How you doing? Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a good point. Those kinds of questions are super important when you going back to you've got this small team. And as a team grows, like what happens is you ha- you put systems and processes in place so that you can generate a consistent customer experience, you know, for the customer facing people. And then also even for the back of office people, because you need standard systems and processes because more there's a higher degree there's a higher likelihood that somebody's going to be out sick right so i've got a team of 15 people and it's just a given that on any any given day one person's not going to be there Mm -hmm. and somebody else is going to have to jump in and cover for that person so we need that they need to be doing things the same way everybody else is doing them so that when somebody leaves or they're not they're not available to do it somebody else can still do the work so as a as a team grows you put these systems and processes in place out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And with the systems and processes come like the measurement systems and processes, the, the workflow tracking things too. And and so that's where you start to get some more of these uh, more quantitative measures yeah. of workforce productivity but or capacity. But when you're dealing with those small teams, you're dealing with these wide variations in experience level um, in, and a lot of times you're dealing on their, their personal experience and their personal systems and processes for getting stuff done. How many times have we walked into a business and you've got three people doing a very similar job, but they're all doing it in very different ways. Yep. You know, they're the, the best example or the first example I can think of is going into an organization that had three salespeople and they they each had a laptop and there were three different versions of the sales contract, depending on whose laptop it came right. off of, right? And they had three different ways for quoting jobs because one was using paper and pencil, one was using an Excel spreadsheet, and one of them was using an industry rule of thumb. And so when you have these very disparate ways of doing things, you need to ask those questions because you might look at the output. You might look at the output and, and it's gone from, let's say it's gone from an average of, of I'll, I'll use the example of like selling, uh, doing these quotes, right? And so you're like, well, we, we were doing two quotes a day. Now we were doing three quotes a day. And you, you have this question with three different people and the guy using the Excel spreadsheet is like, I'm doing great, man. It's fantastic because... Uh, we're, we're making more money. We're quoting more deals. We're closing more deals. It's it's awesome, and uh, and I, my wife's thrilled. 
you know? Right. And you're like, well, you know, how's your work-life balance? And you're like, I, don't know. I mean, I'm running one more call a day, you know, so I'm, I'm not leaving the office early, right. <laughs> you know? And you talk to the next guy, and uh, and he's using the, he's not the Excel spreadsheet guy. He's the rule of thumb guy. And he's like, you know, it's, 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 it's good. It's good. But, you know, I'm having to go back on a lot of these things because when we start doing the work, we kind of go south. And I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm having some issues with the estimate. It does, it's not coming out every time. Right. right? And then you talk to the last guy who's doing a paper and pencil and he's like, I can't do this anymore. Right. You know, I'm staying up until 10 o'clock at night. And you're like the same thing, but t three totally different perspectives. And maybe that's the point where you as the business owner go, okay, so we need to invest in some training for this guy's quality of life. I know he's old school and he likes paper and pencil, but he, we're at a point now, it doesn't make sense to, if one guy's backstroking it and making so much more money at three jobs right. and one guy's quality of life has gone down the toilet, we need to retrain this person and implement some standard tools and get everybody on the same page. And you're only going to find that out if you're having the kind of conversation that you're talking about. Like, how are you doing? We've added a ton to your plate. We see it coming through in the sales orders. Mm -hmm. How's it affecting you? Yeah. So you mentioned quantitative metrics that we can look to. And, and some quantitative metrics come from systems that you, and you start, you know, software that you decide to implement in your organization. What are some of the other quantitative metrics um, that business owners might be able and business leaders might be able to look at that don't necessarily come from systems. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, it's not, now we're getting into like, what, what's the spreadsheet look like? Right. So like, yeah. oh, this is, so we've got some business owners out there who are like, man, I love the idea of these conversations. Right. And you got the other, the other listener who's like all this warm, fuzzy nonsense, like converse, give me data. Right. What kind of data? One of these guys going to start talking about the data. And so there are definitely some quantitative measures that we look at, uh, that are pretty easy to get. There's there's one we'll talk about that's really easy to get, and there's one that's a little bit more work, uh, but it's a little bit more common. So the one that's the easiest to get is what we call labor efficiency. And I think this might have come out of Crabtree's book. I can't remember. We, we've used that resource so much. Mm. Uh, Simple Numbers, Big Profits, I think, is the, the name of the book. But um, it's basically the, the, the answer to the question, for every dollar we generate, for every dollar we invest in labor, how much revenue do we generate? Mm -hmm. So if we're spending a hundred thousand dollars on labor and we're generating a million dollars in sales, that's ten to one. Yeah. So we have a labor efficiency number of ten dollars. So for ten every every dollar we invest in labor, we get ten dollars in sales. Um, now ten would be fantastic. We don't run into that no, number no. very often. So like you talk about like a professional services business. Um, one of the industries that we work in is insurance brokerages. And so an industry metric there is, is a $2 metric. So for basically for every dollar we invest in labor, we generate $2 in revenue. Now, the other way to look at that is our labor is 50% of our revenue number, mm -hmm. right? And so some, some industry benchmarks talk about it in percentages. A lot of them talk about it in percentages, probably more so in percentages than the labor efficiency dollar number. The reason we like the dollar number is because when it goes up, that's good. Right? You know, it's just very simple. If the line on the graph is going up and to the right, that's a positive yep. thing. And it, I, you know, we laugh about it, but it's, it is important when you start tracking trends in this stuff. Because if you look at a graph of the revenue of the organization and it's going up yep. and you look at a graph of the labor efficiency and it's also going up, that means that we are not only bringing in more revenue, 
we are also being, we're bringing in way more profit on that same amount of revenue right. because we're getting more efficient in our labor at the same time we're generating sales. So our net profit is going to increase at a higher rate than our revenue is increasing. So that's great. Yep. If we see revenue increasing and it's going up and to the right and that labor efficiency staying flat, we're like, okay, like that's, we would expect that. We're not losing efficiency. If it's going up and we're, and our labor efficiency is going down, and we're like, okay, we're getting less efficient. And that is not uncommon. That is, and in fact, that's very, very common that as your revenue increases, there are points at which your uh, business growth is outstripping the systems and processes that are already there, and your people are becoming less efficient because the tools and the, the procedures and the things they're using to get the work done are no longer sufficient for the volume of work that's happening. The other thing that happens is that as uh, when we see that labor efficiency decreasing and our revenues increasing, we're running up against this 80% red line yeah. metric, right? So, um, so what that, you so what it, well, why yeah. don't you talk about the 80% for a second? Because we talk about it a ton with businesses. Yeah, no. So the 80% rule, yeah, is just this, it's, I don't know, I guess it's more of a, an anecdotal benchmark. Um, and it comes from the idea that at, once we hit 80% capacity, we have reached the limit of our, uh, the efficiency of systems and processes. And so at 80%, we might be able to add a, a little bit more to each person's plate, or let's just you know what, use one individual for example. We might be able to add a little bit more to that person's plate, but their quality of life is probably going to decrease some. And it's definitely an indicator that we need to start looking for more, you know, another person or, or an assistant so that they can handle more of, of their core job. Um, and the illustration that we often go to with the 80% rule and the efficiency of systems dropping after we reach an 80% capacity mark is the interstate. And so if you're driving down the interstate and, you know, it's like, in Florida, it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and for whatever reason, everybody gets off at four. Yeah, I've still haven't figured out where those jobs are, but they're out there. <laughs> right, um, and you're you're going down the interstate, and it's it's pretty full. You know, you're cruising at 60, 65 miles an hour. Maybe maybe you get lucky and you're hitting seventy five in the fast lane, and then what happens? The traffic just starts to slow down, and then you hit 40, 40 miles an hour and thirty five and Hopefully it doesn't go to a stop, but you start to get to a crawl and then you're, you know, hopefully you get to get through that pretty quickly. But what happened? Well, some people got on an on-ramp and I see this all the time. Somebody gets on the on-ramp, fewer people got off than those who got on and there was an accident. And because the system, because the interstate system was at 80% capacity already, one hiccup mm -hmm. in the system resulted in a massive slowdown and a massive decrease in efficiency for everybody in the system and operating within the system. Yeah. And it and it from an analogy perspective, it doesn't even have to be the equivalent of a wreck. It can be sure. somebody taps the brakes. So you have a situation where uh, you've got a, a jobs in the pipeline, right? And these are kind of custom bespoke jobs. You, there's a standard way you put them together, but each one's a little bit different, requires a different bill of materials, different amount of labor hours going into it. And so you've got these orders and you've got them stacked up and you're, we're running at 80, 85, 90% capacity. And then one customer decides to make a change, you know, and maybe in the final bill of materials, mm -hmm. maybe in the final scheduling. And we see the efficiency of that system plummet. 
And now, as a consequence of running at 90% and introducing any kind of hiccup, jobs are getting backed up. Uh, in a, if we were running at 80%, that change might have gotten made, and it might delay things by a day. Yeah. But that cha- that same change introduced at 85 90% capacity may push things back two, three days, a week, two weeks. And you see these just kind of chain reaction. Yeah. Um, well, and we've seen this a lot in the, in the world recently where you look at manufacturing plants, mm-hmm. right? And we are coming out of COVID, thankfully, and you know, we're still dealing with some consequences of it. But manufacturing plants were, were delayed and, and very limited in their ability to build product or make product. And we were in, we were, a lot of businesses were operating in a just in time inventory system. Mm-hmm. And that has had to change. And now we're trying, we have to, we have to go back to where we're ordering product, you know, month, three months in advance, because we know that there's a huge inefficiency there now created because we don't have the workforce. Right. People aren't in the plants, you know, packaging products and shipping them out. And there's less workers on the road, truckers who are driving those products from plant to plant. So, it, it definitely, one little blip in the system can have a massive impact on the amount of work throughput. Yeah, so one of the things that we have to understand for, for your business, if you're listening to this, and for the businesses that we work with, is what is your 80% number? Yep. You know, do you know the 80% number? Um, and again, you can go back to, even if you have a, um, a small, like we, ha- we had a situation yesterday, Cameron and I were in a meeting with a client, and we kind of got on this topic uh, because they've seen extraordinary growth over the last year and a half. And the question isn't whether we're going to continue to sell. The question is, we're, we're definitely going to continue to sell. Are we going to have the, a number of crews to get the work done? And it's not really a question that we'd ever uh, asked in any kind of detail of how many, so this company does roof coatings. And so the question was, how many squares or how many square feet can a crew coat in a day? Mm-hmm. And and we started to hear, well, you know, this guy, he he his crew does a lot. This guy, his crew, man, not so much. And these guys, they're okay over here. And okay, well, why does that guy do a lot? Well, he's got he's very experienced and his number two guy is very experienced. What about these other? Well, he's very experienced and his number two guy is not. And mm-hmm. what about this? Well, these two guys are just, you know, <laughs> you know they're just kind of lazy. You know, whatever. I'm <laughs> right. making stuff up. But um, so you can get going back to the conversational front. It's important for you to know like what is our, our, our hundred percent capacity. Like if we really push the pedal down, how many of these, how many squares could we get done right now? We can go up to that. You know, you can redline a car engine, mm-hmm. right? As long as you just don't try to do an eight hour road trip at redline, right. you'll probably be fine. But you know, it's okay for periods to like exceed that 80% threshold. And we've even had situations where we've exceeded 100%. You know, everybody's working overtime. That's over 100% capacity, by the way. Now, your efficiency drops dramatically. Like, it, it starts to drop after you go past 80%. So if you're looking at, let's use that that um, square, so 300 squares a day. If, if we got a crew that can coat 300 squares a day, which is 300 100 square foot sections uh, 300,000 square feet I can't I don't know what that is 30,000 square feet mm-hmm. um, so they can coat 300 squares a day at 80% up to 80% when you get to 85% they might be coating 195 squares a day but they're working yeah. a little bit more when they get to 100% they might only be coating 
190 squares a day, not even close to 300, yeah. right? Because one, they're tired. <laughs> you know, you can only run so long, so hard. Two, a lot of times, and you you alluded to this, uh, the supply chain stuff oftentimes can't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. If if we're trying to work that many days in a row, and our trailer will only trailer so much product, right? on one trip then we got to bring another trailer which means we've got the labor and the 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 cost of that drive the cost of that driver in that truck to come and try to keep up with our two guys more overhead on the job same kind of thing Mm -hmm. uh the longer you run at redline the more your supervisory costs or the more you run over 80 percent the more your supervisory costs increase the more you run over 80%, the more errors are introduced. Quality assurance typically goes down. So you either pay more for quality assurance, for basically for people to go back and fix the mistakes so product can still continue to go out the door, or you incur warranty costs where you have to take crews out of the field later and send them back to fix those mistakes that were made. So the lesson is that if you don't know where your 80% number is, and you don't know when you are going over it, mm-hmm. a lot of times you won't figure that out until weeks or months or maybe years later, depending on what your particular business is. And you'll have all these claims or these faults in product or application or workmanship. And you go, we, we had a situation with a client like this a few years ago. And we said, man, why are we having so many warranty claims? Mm-hmm. And we started going back and looking at the job folders for when these jobs were done and we're like oh the, all of these jobs were done two and a half years ago almost i mean it was crazy eerily similar how many they landed like within months of each other and it was when when one particular customer said i don't care what you do you got to get this done and they had basically it wasn't our fault they were pushing the schedule so hard that we were doing our work and then other trades were coming behind us that would have normally come in front of us. Mm. And those trades were messing up the work that we had done. And we didn't find out about it until a couple of years later. So that's a consequence of the customer pushing their product out faster and us not realizing, hey, they're pushing, we're pushing, we're exceeding that threshold, we're going to have a price to pay later. So you got to know where your 80% is. And it's important that your people know where the 80% is too. And I, we talked about this earlier. You're going to have disparities because people are people. They're not machines. So you're going to have disparities in productivity and efficiency and, and work ethic and all that stuff, right? So it's really nice if you can begin to educate everybody on what 100% looks like and what 80% looks like. And that's kind of where we're setting targets. And we, we want them to know when we exceed 80%, so, or we want them to let us know when they exceed 80% so we can avoid some of these inefficiencies and mistakes and rework that come later. But we also want the two people working next to each other, not to have any illusions about who's at 80% and right, who's exactly. really at like, I've, man, I'm really burned out. Really? Cause you're like 40% of capacity. Right. So, right. so I think it's important to just educate everybody yeah. and it raises the bar of expectation for everybody's performance. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the conversation on workforce capacity. Wait, there's one more thing Oh, we got to talk about. So I'm sorry. Uh, we go into quantitative it. metrics, right? There's one other one that a lot of businesses are familiar with. Uh, so we talked about labor efficiency, which is your your revenue divided by your labor costs. The other one is the revenue per employee, 
Yeah. Or revenue per FTE, sometimes you hear full time equivalent employee. So if you've got two part time people, that's like one full time person. So if I've got one, say I've got four full time crews and I've got one part, I've got two part time crews. That's five FTEs, essentially, or five right. you know, full time crews. So uh, this, this quantitative metric of capacity is important because it's one that is very, very common in the industry. So you can look at your particular industry. If you're part of an industry t- trade association, yeah. uh, or if you, if you, you know, you you don't want to pay the dues, you're like, I'm not paying that. You can go out and you can still get their annual benchmark survey or, or biannual benchmark survey. And they'll say in our industry, people run at about a hundred thousand per employee or yeah. 200,000 or 120,000 or and some 121, 543, you know, for the last survey period. And it's a, it's more difficult when we look at labor efficiency, all you and I need to do is look at the profit and loss statement, the income statement, and we can figure out what that number is. That's why it's very easy go to right. for us. When you want to measure revenue per employee, you have to look at the revenue, but then you have to say, how many employees did we have? And sometimes it's not that easy of a question to answer because the revenue is measured over the period of a month or a quarter or rolling 12 months. And then the question is, well, which, where do we, where do we count the number of employees? Do we count the number of employees at the end of the year? Do we count the number of employees in the middle? And what most companies do is they will uh, benchmark it to the average. So number of employees at the beginning of that period, number of employees at the end of that period, average of the two. It's an imperfect measure. Sure. And you need to understand that the wider the time frame is over which you're measuring, the more imperfect it's going to be. So it's better to measure, in my mind, it's better to do both ends. So measure over a rolling 12 period, the Absolutely. average FTEs, but then every month, measure the FTE, the average FTEs for that month. So now we're only talking about the change over a period of 30 days. Look at the revenue, do the math, and figure that out. And that can be another great way for you to gauge whether or not you're, um, you're hitting that 80% number. And when you're looking at these, when we, when we get into the quantitative measures, they give you something that the qualitative ones don't in terms of the converta- conversations, which is a running path of data that you can build trends off of. Mm-hmm. And you should not expect this persistent gradual increase in your efficiency metrics or even a flatlining of the efficiency metrics because when you're talking about people we're talking about people right right? they run in seasons like we we operate in seasons whether we realize it or not so we have spring summer winter fall but we also have seasons where we're super productive we here in florida we have seasons where you know all the tourists come down and we need to run at 90% because we can't find the people. Um, but your business is going to go through cycles too. Coming back from COVID, people saw you know productivity increase quite a bit because people wanted to get back to work, yeah. right? Now we're starting to see in this area a decline in some of that productivity because people have been redlining it for so long right. and they can't keep up with it. And they're like, I, I got to take care of myself or they just don't get a choice. They start to get sick. They start to, you know, their spouse, you know, gets sick and they, they have to care for them. So mm-hmm. um, the quali- the quantitative stuff is there to, so that you can kind of see the roadmap of where you've come from before and kind of get an expectation. And we were talking to a client um, recently, I don't know if it was you and I or, or me and Cameron, but we were looking at the labor efficiency and it had been increasing for a while. And, and we were telling them, this is going to go down. 
Yeah. Right. And it's going up, 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 which means we're probably running at 85, 90% or redlining it. We're going to have to hire some more people and that's going to cause our efficiency to drop because we're going to be adding labor dollars and they're not going to be as productive in the beginning. So, you know, just expect it um, and, and do the homework to know what those numbers are and educate everybody else what they are. Great conversation. I'm really glad you touched on the last point. It is a little bit more of a difficult metric to, to get. You might have to, you know, build some formulas off your payroll data, maybe get your payroll company yeah. to do it for you. All the HR people right. out there going, what the heck? Right. Don't tell delegate, me. Yeah. Delegate, delegate. <laughs> you know, if you're the HR person listening, just ask your, ask your payroll company to do that for you. Um, <laughs> leverage those dollars. But yeah, just to recap, the subjective measures like one-on-ones, just ask your people how they're doing um, so that you can at least, if, you, if you're not ready to dig into the data or you're not that kind of data person, um, still recommend the data. I'm not saying don't do that, but have the one-on-one -on -one conversations with your people to see how they're doing and, and maybe prompt them and letting them know, hey, we've, we've been running a lot more work orders lately. We see that you're, you're drowning or, hey, we've added some new systems. We, we see that you're, you know, you, we don't want you to get bored. <laughs> um, and then also the quantitative metrics, uh, the labor efficiency metric, just uh, looking at how many dollars in revenue you generate for every dollar in payroll or the FTE uh, metric, which is, again, a little bit more difficult, and but worth it because you can compare yourself to industry benchmarks. And with that, we want to thank you for listening this week, and we look forward to having you again soon. Awesome.